<laughs> Let's pray as we open up God's word together. Lord God, you tell us through Paul's words to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So Lord, please do that a bit more in us this morning. Shine in our hearts as we encounter the Lord Jesus in your word. For your glory we pray. Amen. As you uh, may be aware, I'm a a bit of a a sci-fi nerd, Um, but before you mock me like you did for my last sci-fi illustration, I'm not looking at you, Young Adults Connect group. Uh, I hasten to add, I am not fully a sci-fi nerd. I do not speak Klingon, and I have never been to a convention, but I do enjoy sci-fi, and let me give you just a little apologetic as to why. Uh, One of the reasons why I, I like the genre is because of the plot devices that, uh, that the world of science fiction opens up. Anything is literally possible. And so you can play with interesting philosophical ideas, ethical conundrums, complex worldview themes. One example for you. Exploring and, and playing on the theme of the impossibility of knowing reality. The impossibility of knowing reality. Think of movies like uh, The Matrix, or Inception. I think I've got a few pictures coming up, actually. There you go. Like The Matrix, they are the famous two pills. Or Inception, uh, with his um, item to tell whether he is in reality or not. Or Interstellar, which just goes totally crazy by the end. Uh, worth a watch. Uh, the, the idea is that someone, or many people, think that they are living reality, but really they are not. And their senses, wisdom, knowledge can't prove or disprove that. I think it's a fascinating question. Don't you? Maybe I'm alone. How can you, how can you really know if your experience of reality is real or if you're actually just floating in some pod of liquid living out your life in a virtual reality? I know it seems crazy, it seems silly, but actually... Actually, it's a really important philosophical question. Uh, We we are limited, finite beings with limited senses and capacity for knowing things. And so philosophical thinkers, uh, uh, as far back as predating Jesus born on earth, uh, were doing thinking around this kind of thing. And they posed this question, is it possible that my current reality isn't real at all? Is it possible? And if you have a humanist worldview that removes the possibility of God, I think this is a very hard question to answer. Here's my amateur philosopher take on the question, bringing a bit of theology into it as well. Uh, the, The only possible way as finite beings that we can be confident in knowing reality is to trust the word of a finite being of an infinite being, sorry. In other words, if humans can be tricked into believing a reality that is less than its claims, then we need someone more powerful who knows what really is real to tell us. And we need to be able to trust them in doing that. We need to be able to trust their definition of reality. 
to know how the world works, what's right, what's wrong, the value of human life, what, my, what meaning my life has, all, all of those kinds of claims. And this passage that we just heard read uh, claims that the author of reality is the God-man, Jesus Christ. And we will see that he invites us to embrace the truth of this reality and experience peace with him. Because in our world today, wars and battles rage fiercely in, in the realm of ideas and ideologies and cultural expectations and social norms, all competing for our hearts and minds. Our current cultural context we find ourselves in is one of, of uh, hyper-individualism, where, where ultimate value is on freedom to follow one's desires. And that's bred things like cancer, uh, cancel culture and, and uh, widespread social media shaming if you step outside the bounds of the societal norms. And so this passage gives us a foundation, a foundation that we need to navigate all of that with Jesus Christ at the centre. We're talking about the rule of Jesus. I could say the authority of Jesus, or the lordship of Jesus, or the supremacy of Jesus. We'll continue our Colossians series. It's Colossians 1, 15 to 23, if you missed it before. Uh, I'll bring some up on the screen, but uh, I would also love you to have a Bible open or a device if you've got it with you. Uh, Paul kicked off the series preaching on the first few verses of, of Colossians last week. Uh, we looked at about 9 to 14 in our, our beginning of term prayer evening, and uh, we're now picking up at verse 15. We're going to see that Jesus' rule is cosmic, it is restorative, and it is personal. So firstly, the cosmic rule of Christ. Let's step into this majestic poem. And it is a majestic poem. Some translations format the text to highlight the poetic structure. Uh, others leave it as a, par a paragraph. But either way, I hope you will see something of the, the uh, majesty of, of this poem uh, that we have from Paul here. Verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Two huge truths we learn about Jesus in one verse. The first one, he is the image of the invisible God. Now don't think like a reflection or a mirror or a copy. In the cultural context that Paul is writing in, an image was not considered to be something distinct from the object it represented, like a copy, but, but rather as the image of God, Jesus is the exact as well as visible representation of God, illuminating God's essence, as one commenter put it. Because God became human, we can know him. The second huge truth, he is the firstborn, over all creation. I don't think for a moment that that means that God made Jesus first. To say that is a complete injustice to the context of this verse in every sense. Let me show you. In that time period, firstborn was largely a, 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 a title expressing status. 
And the firstborn son would be the new head of the family and the one who inherited it all. In the Old Testament, we see this really clearly. In Psalm 89, verse 27, it's up on the screen. God, in speaking about his future Messiah, King, he says this, And I will appoint him to be my firstborn. What's that mean? The most exalted of the kings of the earth. The Messiah will be king of kings, supreme ruler with all authority. These are the concepts that Paul has in mind. In the previous verse, in verse 13, God, in, um, two verses back, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So the previous context as well is, is God's authority to victoriously pillage the dominion of darkness and rescue us out of it. And the following verses go on to explain why Jesus uh, should have such firstborn authority, power, status. Verse 16. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Another huge truth about Jesus. In him, all things were created. In other words, the, the very fabric of reality was knit together by Jesus Christ. Notice the, the completeness emphasized of Jesus' creator authority. All things, all things, all things. Did you see the repetition? And you may wonder, hmm, I wonder what all things means. It means all things. Absolutely everything. He, it means he predates creation. He is not created, but creator. And then notice the in, through, for. In him. He's the sphere or the location in which creation came into being. Uh, through him. He's the, the mediator of the event of creation. And for him, he is the, the destiny, the direction of all created things. This is a complete 360 degree view of the Lordship of Jesus Christ over absolutely, positively everything. Is your view of Jesus too small? Paul's, Paul's not even done yet. Jesus is creator. He's also sustainer. Verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. The very fabric of reality was knit together by him, and the very fabric of reality is held together by him, present, continuing. We exist, and we live, and we breathe because he's got this under control. Because he's got this. One commenter put it this way, the living Christ is the unifying principle of life. Jesus is creator. His rule, his authority is cosmic and complete. Does this blow your mind 
that a human being could be described in such terms? Jesus. This week, just this week, humanity saw something that we have never seen before. Did you miss it? Do you know what it is? Anyone? Let me tell you. We saw for the first time what the BBC World News described as the monster inside the Milky Way's heart or the gargantuan black hole that lives at the centre of our galaxy. Sagittarius A star. You knew its name, didn't you? I may have Googled that. Uh, do you want to see it? We only saw it this week, about two, three days ago. All right, I heard a yes, so here it is. There it is, Sagittarius, Sagittarius A star. New technology and a global network of radio satellites enabled a team of scientists to build this picture. Let me tell you what BBC World News uh, says about it. Uh, we can go to the, the next picture as I, as I do this. Known as Sagittarius A star, the object is a staggering four million times the mass of our sun. What you see is a central dark region where the black hole resides, circled by the light coming from superheated gas accelerated by immense gravitational forces. The scale, for scale, the ring is roughly the size of Mercury's orbit around our sun. That's about 63 million kilometers across. Fortunately for us, this monster is a long, long way away, some 26,000 light years. And we can zoom out and see it here on the next one. I thought it was cool. <laughs> Jesus rules over all that and more. He is Lord of that. Do you stand in awe? Do you bow before him? Don't miss the majestic nature of this poem in God's word. The poetry should draw us to a humble awe and praise and submission. These truths should lift our eyes upwards and turn us in wonder to praise God. How do we know what is real? Look no further than Jesus Christ. You cannot be over the top about Jesus. You can't overstate who he is. And to attempt to do life without him is to push against the very fabric of reality. So don't settle for attempting to find joy in the creation rather than the creator. And be warned that if we neglect Jesus or flirt with the attractions of other things in this world, we endanger our lives. We are not made to live apart from our Creator. His rule is cosmic. Secondly, we see the restoring rule of Christ. Come to verse 18 with me. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy Jesus is 
the head of the church. His authority over all things is also specifically applied to his people, to us, to his church, to, to the new humanity. We are the beginning of the new humanity. He's the firstborn from among the dead. The first of many to be raised from the dead. He's, he's the pioneer of resurrection. He himself describes himself as the resurrection and the life in John's gospel. He is the one who will raise us back to life. He is eternally worthy of our worship. And so Paul can say about Jesus that he is completely and utterly supreme. Jesus, again, he says it himself uh, like this in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, it's up on the screen, verse 17. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. He is not only creator, he's also recreator, restoring our broken world. He is Lord of creation and Lord of the new creation to come. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The last two huge things to learn from this poem about Jesus. Firstly, all God's fullness is in him. Jesus told his disciples, again in John's Gospel, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. He embodies all of God's fullness, completely and utterly God. If we know Jesus, then we know the power of God. Knowing God is to know him as a person and to know his power in a personal and experiential way. Do you want to encounter the personal presence of God in all of his majesty and glory and fullness? And again, look no further and Jesus Christ. And secondly, the last, the last of the things this poem is going to tell us about Jesus, that God is reconciling to himself all things by Jesus' blood and death on the cross. To reconcile means to, to bring together. It's a, it's a relational term. And to to restore a relationship, to end the hostility that keeps two apart and bring peace. But when it comes to Jesus' death on the cross, not only is it intensely relational, but there's also a, a cosmic effect that his reconciliation goes not only to human beings but to all of creation. Because this world is broken by the, the ripple effects of human sin. We know that all too well. I don't need to convince you of that, I don't think. Sin has created this chasm between God and 
humanity and all of creation. And this poem in Colossians 1 declares that Christ has repaired that chasm between God and all of creation. That the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus fixed the problem of sin by by making God's presence and power and love and grace known to all creation. He brought cosmic peace. In the beginning... God created all things through Christ. And in the end, God will reconcile all things through Christ. And so Jesus invites all people to embrace the reality of his restoring rule and to experience the peace of his reign for eternity. Do you embrace this reality? Because our current cultural context will tell you a very different story, won't it? Steve Steve McAlpine, in his book, Being the Bad Guys, speaks of our current cultural context as a kind of new religion that has arrived. He says this, I'll bring the quote up on the screen for you as well. A new religion built on individual autonomy and celebration of personal authenticity at any cost It is a religion that finds ultimate meaning in the self. We are regularly told, more than that, indoctrinated by our culture, our entertainment, our social media, even co-workers, friends, maybe even family, to define our own reality based on what we feel and what we know or we think we know, to define good and evil on our terms. We're told that we're the authors and creator of every story. But we're not. We're not gods. Jesus is God. Jesus rules. And he invites us to embrace that reality, the reality of his restoring rule and experience the peace of his reign. So where's your allegiance? Do you give your allegiance to Jesus' rule? Or are there other things vying for your loyalty above Jesus? Uh, Is following Jesus your greatest passion in life? Or have you reordered above Jesus something else? Have you reordered an ethical stance? A theological position? a political position, a style of church and an ideology or any number of the many desires in your fallen heart that it's drawn to and turned in on itself in selfishness. I have here a a $10 note. Or do I? Have I convinced you? It's quite far away. It's not a very good attempt at a fake. I didn't actually bother to print double-sided. Don't worry, it's not photocopied. There's no actual number on there. It's not illegal. Um, But how do you you know that it's a fake? How do you know it's a fake? What was that? Too blue. Now you know that because you're familiar with the real thing. 
you're familiar with the real thing. There's many other things we could say as well. I didn't even actually finish punching out the, the little window hole either there. Um, and that's the older version too. Um, it's the real thing. You're familiar with the real thing, so you can spot the fake. I mentioned Steve McAlpine earlier. Just one more line from him. How do you recognize and challenge the counterfeit gospel or the fake gospel? The same way that law enforcement agencies train their staff to recognize counterfeit banknotes, not by examining every detail of a fake $10 note, but by being completely familiar with legitimate currency. Now, this is what Paul is doing for the Colossian Christians. He's showing the legitimate currency. We'll see a whole lot more detail around that in chapter 2. But for now, Paul is putting on display the the reality-defining, cosmic, restorative rule of Christ to fortify his readers against the dominion of darkness that twists and distorts the human experience. The more we familiarize ourselves with and the more we soak ourselves in the truths of Jesus the better fortified our faith will be to navigate this complex, broken world. The call to be fortified is where Paul turns to next in this passage, to to stand firm. Yes, Jesus is the cosmic ruler over all creation, over the new creation to come. The story of the world is Jesus-centered, and this is our story too as followers of Jesus. You orbit around the sun. S-O-N. His rule is not only cosmic and grand, but it's also personal for the believer too. The last thing. The personal rule of Christ. The rule of Christ is personal. It It draws near. See verse 21 with me. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Paul gives us here a quick three-part gospel summary. Once you were alienated from God, the word alienated gives us the ideas of of isolation, of of loneliness, and a deep sense of of not belonging. Apart from God, it's a devastating picture because we were not made for detachment from our Creator. But Jesus' physical death reconciled us to God. Are you a follower of Jesus? He restored the relationship. He brought you back from the grips of sin. Reconciliation, it's a a reversal of sin. The the desire of the human heart to live apart from God, to seize autonomy for ourselves and choose to define good and evil on our own terms. Once we're ruled by that and he brings us back from that, He brings us from that. He draws us near. You were not made for detachment, but instead for intimate connection with your Creator. So no sphere of life should be off limits. 
to Jesus. No aspect of your existence should be seeking to be apart from him or let him not speak into or not touch or not influence. You're now with him. And you're under his personal rule. And he made us presentable before God, didn't he? Now holy, without blemish, free from accusation. No one can accuse. What, what an incredible thing to say about you and I. Despite all of our opposition against God's rule and our, and our frequent wandering hearts, to say that, free from accusation, without blemish, holy. And so, as author Brennan Manning said, whatever our failings may be, we need not lower our eyes in the presence of Jesus. This we've got to cling on to. And Paul tells us to cling. Verse 23. If you continue in your faith, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The personal rule of Christ in your life, it it comes through faith in him and, and, and all in trust in him. Paul was writing to believers convinced believers. And so he said, continue, continue in this. Maybe you're here visiting this morning or joining us online. And this, this faith and hope in Jesus and his, his message is, is not yet yours. I just want to say, just simply, that the invitation is there. The invitation is there. And if God is doing something in, in your head or your heart this morning... Please don't leave before you speak to someone about it. Have a chat with someone and talk it through. And for those of us already following Jesus, Paul calls us, be firm. Stand firm in this hope that we have. Do not move from the hope held out on the gospel. Hold on to what you've got. And let me put it this way. Keep secure our allegiance to him and our hope in him. When something is secure, it doesn't move. It's firm. God, he's not a concept or a theory to understand, but a person to experience. Do you know him? Do you know his person, his power, your position before him? Do you know the hope you have in him? We need an anchor in the storm of this world. And that anchor is Jesus and his cosmic, restoring, personal rule. I want to pray now as we finish. Can I invite you to stand as we pray? I know it's a bit different to usual, but please, please stand. I'm going to lead us in, in prayer. I hope it's feeling repetitive for good reason. Um, Rob echoed some of this as well just earlier. I'm going to lead us in prayer, uh, being guided by this poem in Colossians 1. And as I do that, I encourage you, um, uh, I've been debating up until this point whether to say this or not, but I know it's not a big part of our culture, 
But if you find yourself agreeing, resonating with this prayer, feel free to say yes, to say amen out loud or something to that effect. And let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in you all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through you and for you, Lord Jesus. You are before all things, and in you all things hold together. And you are our head, the head of the body, the church. You are the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything you might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in you, Lord Jesus. And through you to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through your blood shed on the cross. And so, Lord, we praise you. We stand in awe of you, our maker. We honor you, the one supreme over all. We thank you, a reconciler and restorer. We put our faith in you. Help our lack of faith. We give our allegiance to you. Help our lack of loyalty. We seek our joy in you. Transform our disordered desires. We affirm our devotion to you. Help our wandering hearts. And we secure our hope in you. Don't let us drift. In Jesus' ultimate name we pray. Amen. Please stay standing. And let's sing, all glory be to Christ. Lord Jesus, all glory be to you, our Christ. You are the first and the last. May we live for your honour and glory here and now and hope for and long for the day when we see you coming, when we see you return and you, you finish your work of bringing about the new creation. Keep this in our hearts and our minds, Lord, as we seek to follow you. We pray this for your mighty name's sake. Amen. Church is about half over at this point. We're about to transition to the more informal side of things. In a moment, I'll send you out. I've just got a little bit more to to read in closing. Um, You can take a seat. That's fine. Uh, if you're new, you're visiting us, uh, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, a great place to do that is the person you might be sitting next to or the, the hub tables down the back just where you came in of the foyer. Uh, we'd love for you to come and say hi and for us to connect with you there. Uh, and uh, as usual, uh, tea and coffee in the foyer and outside. Let me close with, uh, the, with these words from Paul again to, to the Colossians in that, that end bit, 21 to 23. Uh, you know the context now after giving the epic picture of Jesus, his cosmic, restoring, personal rule, he encourages his readers, by extension us today, to recognise the great personal significance of who Jesus is and what he's done. I'm going to read it to you in the NLT, just, just so it's fresh. Again, speaking 
of reconciling and the restoring that Jesus does. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Amen.